Welcome screensavers. I'm Michael Gallat. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sitkus. Together we host the Silver Screen Savers podcast, and guys, today is finally the day that we get to talk about Marry Me. Later on, we'll be discussing Coda, the Apple original film and Best Picture nominee. It is part of our Oscar Rewind series. We've already reviewed five of the Best Picture nominees from this year, so over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about the rest. But before all that, of course, it's our weekly watch list. Matt, what have you been watching this week? I gotta be honest, I really hadn't had a whole lot of time to watch a whole lot this week. Uh, the one thing I will discuss, though, is the Book of Boba Fett finale, which I, as of last episode, had not had a chance to see. But I finally got a chance to see it this week, and, I mean, it was solid, it was enjoyable. Pretty much what Tyler said of last week, I pretty much agree with him. It's a solid conclusion to, like, the story arc. It leaves enough open for future series and Star Wars content. It had a fair blend of nostalgia at play, and it included other parts of Star Wars canon, which were nice nods. I'm not going to go into spoilers and say what exactly, in case anyone hasn't seen it yet. I do think the discourse over, like, the spin moves and, like, the fancy gunplay and stuff in this episode was definitely, like, unnecessarily dumb, but that's par for the course with toxic Star Wars fans. Especially because this episode was directed by Robert Rodriguez, and that's like one of his tropes is like the spin moves and like the corny, like gunplay stuff. So like, you can tell like the people that are complaining about it are just not familiar with sort of like the director. Are you are you saying that uh, Boba Fett is lightning with the blam blams? Wasn't even Boba Fett. No, it wasn't Boba oh, Fett. It okay. was, it Boba was Fett main... doesn't do anything in this show. He's no. not That's allowed. what I've heard is that there's not much Boba Fett in this. No, it was all it was all Mando, which I mean that is one of the that is a fair critique that this show kind of goes off the rails is becomes a man basically Mandalorian season three by a certain point, but hmm. nonetheless, um, yeah, it wasn't the strongest Star Wars entry overall. I will admit that, but it's much like Marvel and any other content coming from the disney content machine you know statistically not all of them are going to be blowing it out of the park best best movie best tv show ever because i mean realistically you, can, you just can't there's a certain point you know you can't just keep out doing yourself you're going to have ones that are a little less you know a little more underwhelming than others but that's okay it was still solid and i think it was still well worth the time invested in watching it can't all be home sweet home alone. All right, Tyler, what'd you watch this week? I, I also watched Book of Boba Fett, and I just want to say that if you're gonna make a show, don't make your main character literally like the the most pointless person imaginable. Like all he does is just take advice from other people, do it, and then he fails. And that's mm -hmm. that's his entire. I don't think he made one decision for himself in this show. I'm not gonna spoil it. But I just felt like he was the most useless character I've ever seen. <laughs> well, that's the nostalgia at work. That's not nostalgia. Like they sure took a character that was like cool, and they're like he just sits around and listens to people. No, but and just takes them at their word. No, but I'm saying like the name Boba Fett. That's honestly what sparked, I'm sure, a lot of people's interest in the series. Okay, fair enough. You know, <laughs> regardless of what he does, just saying Boba Fett, this cult, you know, this character that had a bit part in the original trilogy, and give him, you know, try to flesh him out some more, you know, just saying Boba Fett, that's already got people pretty hyped. 
but they didn't flesh him out more. They literally were like, are you tired of Boba Fett? Well, you'll see him for five minutes in the last three episodes. Well, <laughs> well, well, we didn't know that at the beginning. I mean, we might have from that trailer, but... Anyway, I also saw Jackie, which, Mike, I'll let you expand on. Um, you know, I thought Clifton Collins Jr. was good in it. I thought he, he did really well, but I, it was very forgettable for me. I thought it was not a bad movie, but, like, an hour after watching it, I couldn't even really remember anything that really happened in it, so... Yeah, I, I'll, I'll piggyback on what you said. Uh, Jockey is about an aging jockey who fights injury as he tries to extend his career. He meets a young jockey who may be his long-lost son. This is directed by Clint Bentley. This is a new director spotlight. It's his first feature. This is written by Bentley and Greg Quidar. And Tyler, basically what you said, this movie has a lot of awesome moments that are super touching. It's a very competently made film, but it doesn't entirely work as a whole. It's a little underwhelming, a small movie that seems a bit too small. Uh, but the screenplay has great bones, and the performances are excellent. Clifton Collins Jr. is getting the lead role he deserves. Molly Parker has this really good part. She's good at silent communication of her character's desires. And Moises Arias is really great. It's been awesome to see him grow up into a great actor. I know I say this every time we have a new director spotlight, but I'm interested in seeing what Clint Bentley does next. So, well, anything else you guys watch this week? I was just gonna say it's. Um, I mean, it'd be a little awkward for to put like a a, dire- a new director spotlight and be like, I hope I never see anything about this guy again. <laughs> this was terrible, and I hope he never finds work. <laughs> we'll get there. I'm, just... I'm sure. I'm sure it'll happen one day. And that just occurred to me, but um, that's about it. Yeah, for me. that's funny. Uh, before we move on to movie news, we got some cool movie news. I just wanted to mention the passing of Ivan Reitman, who is an excellent director of supremely, supremely entertaining films. I'm talking Ghostbusters, Meatball, Stripes, Twins, Kindergarten Cop. Woo! Tyler, I know it's the favorite of yours. <laughs> yes. Dave, awesome, excellent, like so 90s film amongst many others. He will be dearly missed. So thank you, Ivan Reitman, for everything you gave us. On to some movie news. Uh, we got a little bit of a teaser trailer for the new Alex Garland film, Men. Uh, looks like Jesse Buckley is being stalked. There's a big scary bridge. What do you guys think of Men? Hallelujah. Could you expand on, on that? <laughs> I, um, I mean, the trailer didn't really give us much to work with other than what you said, because what you said is pretty much what the, well, teaser more so than trailer, but... I have full faith in Alex Garland and what he is doing next because the last couple films that he's done have been fantastic with Ex Machina and Annihilation. And I love a good like sci-fi thriller premise. And if this is anything like his past work, then I'm all for it. You know, I'm just pumped. I, I just want it to be really good so, like, we can do a review on it and I could be like, I love men. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the last time I saw a scary bridge like this was in a great thriller called Still of the Night, uh, directed by Robert Benton. The production design on this looks super cool. I'm excited. I love Ex Machina, I think it's brilliant. Annihilation was not my favorite movie. Um, I think it's one of those that if I watched it again, I'd like it a lot more. Although the the bear scene is one of the most terrifying 
I have seen in recent years. So kudos on that. But hey, I, th I think men's going to be great. Similarly, in a similar vein, we got a, a full-length trailer for Nope, the new movie by Jordan Peele. Looks like Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, Stephen Young are in an isolated town where some strange event occurs. We don't really know what it is. Matt, what was your reaction to the trailer? I mean, my best guess is that it's aliens or something. Uh, my my question after watching this trailer is: Do we do we still know anything about this film? No, and I'm okay with it. Uh, you missed you missed the setup. <laughs> that was uh, come on, man. Come oh, on. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I just hope that Oh Hell No is actually the sequel to this film with Jack oh, Black. Oh Hell No better and, come out this year. And and formerly Ice Cube. Um, no, but I think I, much like with Men and Alex Garland, I think Jordan Peele has earned himself a spot in like the echelon of directors that I would not bet against. And I'm excited for just about anything that he's attached to. Even the underwhelming Twilight Zone, which that was a letdown, but he still had more hits than misses. So, Jordan Peele, an intriguing, sort of mysterious, horror-tinged premise, or at least horror-tinged uh, series of scenes. I um I'm all in on Nope. Tyler, you went on Nope. I'm in on Nope. I, I like I think you basically said all I would need to say, but yeah, it's Jordan Peele. It's an interesting premise, so definitely I'll give it a shot. Yeah, I don't that moment in the trailer when like Keith Palmer's dancing and the lights go out and then there's just like a pause before those words start to scroll. I don't know, I just found that so creepy and I don't want to know anything else until this comes out on july 22nd as i want to walk in blind and have a great time which i'm sure i will uh, i don't know we don't have to talk about this at length but i thought the jurassic world dominion trailer looked pretty good pretty thrilling uh i i thought uh fallen kingdom was kind of bad and like confounding in some ways but this this looks like it'll be a, a fun conclusion of this trilogy i gotta say um my uh my thoughts on this one, I I guess I've never been the biggest Jurassic fan. I mean the original trilogy was decent. I don't think I've e seen either of the Jurassic Worlds yet. I mean I've and I've obviously not heard good things about Fallen Kingdom. I mean the trailer for what it is looks promising. I do have one critique of it though, and that is that of all the people they brought back for this film i'm really bummed that they didn't bring ricky baker back <laughs> yeah i true well he's too busy recording that his single true true and and people will either get that joke or they won't tyler do you care about this at all i mean i'll see it but like i mean yeah, it looked better than i wasn't gonna give it a chance the trailer at least intrigued me a bit but i, I really since jurassic world i really haven't cared about this series well yeah, i mean no really... i shouldn't say that like i love the original jurassic parks I, I haven't liked these sequels to them i like the first one it's not great but i liked it uh they really went full reboot here by bringing back laura dern and sam neill i know jeff goldblum was in the last one but that was kind of more like a cameo thing as opposed to like a full part um so eh, we'll see how it is i'll go probably have a good time too 
Uh, we also finally got a teaser, a teaser. And, you know, I didn't need anything more than a teaser for Deepwater. This is going to be coming out in March, which is actually much sooner than I was expecting. Um, the only thing that really <laughs> made me laugh about this was, one, the content of it. And two, is that this is from Adrian Lyne, who directed Fatal Attraction Flashdance. Is that it said, from the director of Fatal Attraction, Indecent Proposal, and Nine and a Half Weeks. Nine and a Half Weeks is a movie that I have a lot of affection for, but I'm just I'm curious as to the person out there who is questioning Deepwater. They're like, I don't know, but they're like, wait, the guy who made Nine and a Half Weeks? I gotta see this thing. Have either of you seen Nine and a Half Weeks? I have no, not, but I'm not. I'm familiar with it. Okay, well we will. We need to do a bonus episode someday on Nine because you will watch it and you will just be shocked. Let's, uh, let's, do a, let's do it. Let's do it. A movie with Kim Basinger and Mickey Rourke back in the day, oh, and man. it is, it is, uh, it is something. <laughs> I love it, but uh, we'll move on from Deepwater. Tyler, I, you I had, had a something. Thought, you I had a thought about Deepwater. Oh, go though. ahead. I just want to add a quick thought on my my thoughts of the teaser for Deepwater. Um, I've not seen most of Adrian Lyons other work. And I did not know much about the plot of this film. You know, like most, the most I knew about it is that Ben Affleck and Ade Armas and you guys hyping it up. So I thought the teaser, I'm like, huh, this is cool, it's intriguing. Sets a vibe without giving away the plot too much. Um, and then I went and looked at IMDb and I read the plot synopsis and I'm like, oh, I really wish I hadn't read that. I wish I had gone into this movie just seeing that teaser and then watching the film. It's all right. I'm sure there will be plenty of surprises. I also want to call BS that at the part where she's like, oh, so you're the only man that ever wanted to be with me? Uh, no, <laughs> not for a second. I don't believe that I, for a I, second. I audibly objected to that. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's my thoughts on that. Very fair point. Um, we, we will return to deep water soon. Don't you worry. Tyler, what's your news that you wanted to share? So John Krasinski, uh, famed member of the CIA. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Uh, <laughs> announced that a quiet place. Part three is, is a go <laughs> directed by Michael Sarnowski, uh, which is the director of pig, which if you watched last week's episode, uh, it was like the week before that was the awards. Oh yeah. A couple of weeks ago. Okay, well, you know, you'll know from then how much I I really enjoyed Pig, so I'm excited for that. That was only yeah, last it's... week. <laughs> well, la- yeah, last yeah, but week there were two and a half. Episodes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, true. Yeah, interesting that Krasinski is not going back to the director's chair, but I'm excited for whatever new directions uh, they're going to go in. Well, I mean, he probably watched Pig, and he's like, okay, I got to get this guy on board. Yeah, fair enough. Probably too busy with some CIA stuff. <laughs> Guys, I want to make sure that any movie news comments are out of the way because we're moving on to something big next. I think we pretty much exhausted everything I had. Uh, Alrighty then. (laughs) It's finally time to talk about Marry Me. Before we do, I just want to talk about the state of rom-coms. This is why I was so... This is part of the reason why I was so fascinated with this movie. Because there was a time... When rom-coms could make a ton of movie and were very much in the zeitgeist of the culture. In the last few years... What, are you laughing at that claim? You, know, you said they make a ton of movie. 
Oh, sorry. Money, money, money. <laughs> sorry. I was trying They not... did make a ton of movie to make money, to make more movie, to make money. Yeah, they need they need the money to make more movie, to make, to more, make money. more movie. <laughs> but they Very need to make movie. movie, otherwise they don't make money. So many rom-com movie. In the last few years, maybe the last decade, they're largely living on streaming, right? Netflix has become a large hub of these. Always be my maybe, the kissing booth to all the boys I've loved before. The half of it, which is one that I, I really liked. Even the popular ones don't often make a ton of money now because of the streaming model. And it's tough to say how successful things are financially with streaming. There have been some exceptions. The Big Sick made quite a bit, earned an Oscar nomination. Crazy Rich Asians did very well. Love, Simon. But to me, this this felt like a test for could we have a traditional rom-com be successful in theaters? It should be noted that this is also streaming on Peacock. So that does complicate matters. But let's get to it. Marry Me is about a lonely teacher and a mega pop star who get married at one of her concerts, even though they've never met each other. They try to develop their relationship, but their different lives might get in the way. This is directed by Kat Quaro, written by John Rogers, Tammy Sager, and Harper Dill, based on the graphic novel by Bobby Crosby and Remy Mokhtar. Matt, you read, you and I both read volume one of this graphic novel. Give your brief thoughts on that. Well, I started to read it. I have to admit I didn't finish it. Um, it was interesting from what I read, and from what I did read, the uh, the whole scene about her asking him to marry her or or agreeing to marry him that happened so quickly in the graphic novel that I just like I, it was kind of jarring. I like I think you were the one, Mike, that you experienced the same thing. You thought there were like pages missing out of the copy we. We I both did. used, I um, and then it just gets, it's just weird, but in like almost, it's it's hard to describe. I need to go and finish it honestly, because I want to finish it. I want to at least say that I finished it, but um, I it's kind of it's it's so funny to me that this film is based on this piece of work because they feel just completely different. Yeah, this. If you have read this graphic novel, then you would be a champion for the movie Marry Me to win Best Adapted Screenplay next year at the Oscars. Because <laughs> this graphic novel is very entertaining. It's very light, despite being one of the wackiest things mm -hmm. that I have read. There are a lot of elements in there that I'm just like, what is going on? But it's very fun and whimsical and all that stuff. Can you expand on that? I'm, I'm there, curious. Well, I don't want to spoil too much, but there are characters who are in a club who drink animal blood, and like they just reveal that randomly. And <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot of like, like throwaway that. lines that are I think are yeah. supposed to be funny, but they're just kind of awkward at times. Yeah, there's somebody <laughs> peeing on themselves. Yeah, and, spoiler that doesn't happen in the movie. Marry me. <laughs> No, the Marry Me just now I has. I gotta read it. I'm intrigued. The, mo the movie Marry Me just has someone spraying uh, paparazzi with a fire extinguisher, which I'm pretty sure would be illegal and considered an assault. Say lovey, Matt. Why don't you give us your general thoughts on the movie Marry Me? My general thoughts on the movie Marry Me. Okay, well, I will be straight up and say I enjoyed it more than I was expecting. Uh, I think I think it really made the premise such a wacky bombastic premise relatively believable for 
what it for what it can be. I um I thought the music was pretty catchy. I thought Jennifer Lopez and Maluma did fantastic on that. Mm-hmm. Even though the film I didn't realize I had the sentiment till I read another review that also said it, but basically it was like basically a two hour billboard, a two hour like promotion for the music rather than so much of the plot, but I'm not really mad about it. Um, and the rest of my stuff is more plot specific. So my bottom line is I, I think it's enjoyable. I think if you're a fan of rom-coms, then this is going to be right up your alley. There's everything to love here. If you're not a fan of rom-coms, I still say give it a chance. I wouldn't get your hopes up too high because if you're not a fan, you're at a disadvantage here, but I'd say it's still worth checking out, at least giving it a a chance. How about you, Tyler? Yeah, I went into this pretty much the same as what Matt said. I genuinely thought this was going to be awful. Um, It it honestly wasn't as bad as I was expecting. It was much better than I was expecting, to be honest. Um, It was entertaining throughout. It wasn't like one that I had to keep like taking breaks from, you know, like bad movies where I'm like, I got to stop watching this. I'll come back to this later. No, I watched it throughout, and I, I enjoyed it. It never, like, dragged for me. Um, you know, I'm not a really a rom-com guy, but it was definitely entertaining enough that you can I could sit through it. Well, guys, you know, sometimes this happens when you're excited for a movie and you see it and you try to convince yourself that you like it more than you really do, but you know it isn't quite what you expected. You know, that happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then there are other times when you're excited for a movie for months and then it's everything you wanted and more and that's the case (laughs) with marry me okay i'm so glad to hear that this is enjoyable every second it's funny it's sweet the characters that you want to spend time around to me like i said this returns this feels like a return to an old style rom-com and it's the best version of that at least for me including some really specific staples of it there's an apartment overlooking the beautiful cityscape there's a grand plea for help from a stranger at some point this movie has john keats owen wilson reading before bed multiple instances of seductive apple eating a flip phone robert goulet one of the best soundtracks in recent memory everything you could ever want in a rom-com I'm not saying it's earth-shattering. It certainly isn't, and I don't think everybody would like this, but it was never meant to be earth-shattering. But please, if you think you might like this, if you're a rom-com fan, even if you're not, please go see this. This needs to be a hit, and then we will get many more of these things. You know what this movie also features? The oddest advertisement I've ever seen when he's like, I made you a website on Wix.com. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fair enough. That was... <laughs> There, there are a couple of awkward things in the movie uh, that I was willing to overlook. Uh, the performances, I, I just found everybody so enjoyable. Jennifer Lopez has this, this grace, this presence that she always has, and she uses it to full effect to this person who's on top of the world, but she's so lonely. I thought Owen Wilson was pretty impressive as playing like a regular, everyday, single dad teacher who's kind of a dork but he's got some charm and he's oblivious in this world maluma geez that guy can sing i'm i'm glad that this movie made me discover him playing bastion john bradley was good as tyler what's what's your fun fact about our podcast streak streak this is our second john bradley movie in a row (laughs) (laughs) so let's hoping for number three next week 
Yeah, we're gonna have to find some like far away throwaway VOD <laughs> thing. Maybe if he did something like that, or just um, every episode of Game of Thrones that he was in. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. We're abandoning movies. It's Game of Thrones for the next <laughs> only ninety weeks or whatever. Twitter. Only the ones that feature Samuel Tarly, though. Okay, it'll take a little bit then. Uh, Sarah Silverman, she's funny as ever, and Chloe Coleman plays Lou. Lou plays is a. Uh, Owen Wilson, Charlie's daughter. She's really great. I've seen her in a lot of things and I uh, want to see her in more. She's awesome. This movie, though, does really make Jimmy Fallon look like a jerk. I'm going to just say right now, like, I feel like that was the most accurate portrayal of Jimmy Fallon I've ever yeah. seen. Like, he's just so, like, uh, uh, so grating and annoying. And, like, I feel like that just bit. Like, I, he, they didn't even tell him he was acting. He's just being himself. They put a camera on him. Just, I was going to say, Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon makes Jimmy Fallon look like a jerk most of the time, so. Yeah, his his jokes could have been better. I don't know who wrote those. He probably but, did. Uh, it was him. He wrote them. <laughs> I mean, I think it's cool. I think him and J-Lo are friends. I'm surprised they didn't do the tight b- pants bit uh, in oh, this right. movie. That would have been I'm nice. I'm glad they did it. It would have been weird, but it would have been nice. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, this movie, uh, I know it's kind of a silly rom-com, and the premise is pretty ridiculous, but um, I thought this was really good at portraying how, 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 like, in the age of personal technology and social media, we're all kind of like vultures, Anytime anybody has, like, a vulnerable moment or is doing something, we all just kind of, like, pounce on it because it will benefit ourselves. You know, maybe that's a bit of a cynical way to look at it, but I think that really does um, happen a lot. And I thought this movie portrayed that interestingly. That is if, uh, as long as there's no comet coming towards the air. In that case, nobody cares. Yes, in that case, nobody cares. I really liked how, because there was a real danger with this movie to have them be married but without meeting each other, and then they just fall in love like in two seconds. But I thought they did a good job with the slow development of the relationship for this ridiculous premise. There are enough scenes early on where they're pretty platonic, but there's like little hints of romance that's bubbling underneath the surface that's going to bring us to further scenes where the feelings bloom. Uh, and then there are like seven or eight musical numbers during this, which goes to what you were talking about, Matt. Uh, but to me, the pop songs are really good. They never seem to overstay their welcome, and they're integrated into the narrative. So it's not like a full movie musical or anything, but I really enjoyed the soundtrack. I've been listening to it. All right, you guys have any more thoughts before we move into some specific plot points? To go back to the acting real quick in this film, it was, I think... The chemistry between Owen Wilson and J-Lo hit at just the right moment. So, like, it was awkward at the times it needed to be awkward, but then it was sincere at the times it needed to be sincere. And I think that was one of the things that this film did really well. And um, I'm sure we'll get into more minute details and spoilers, but I just wanted to make that point spoiler-free before we dive in. I'll just add to that then because you mentioned it. But, like, I was shocked at how much charm Owen Wilson had in this film. Yeah, he really did. Yeah. All right, specifics now. We're getting into spoilers. We're not going to talk about the ending right away, but we will be talking about specific things in the movie from this point forward. Spoiler warning. If you have not seen the following movie, please go watch that movie and come back or accept the consequences. 
Uh, the movie opens with the Marry Me musical number, which you, if you have watched one episode of anything on Peacock or have listened to any other media, you've heard this 97 mm. times now. <laughs> song I really like, but it introduces us to Cat Valdez, J-Lo's character. We have a Hoda cameo. That was cool. Um, talk about John Keats. And then that is juxtaposed with Charlie, played by Owen Wilson, who's a single dad. He's a teacher. And these two people's lives could not be any different. I do want to say there was one thing early in the movie that I just did not buy at all. And that was that... Oh, go ahead. I I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure I had the same thought, but go ahead. Well, now I'm curious because, you know, the setup is that um, Kat is set to marry her fiancé, Bastion. They're two pop stars. And they wrote this song, Marry Me, and they're going to perform it live at a concert and actually get married. And there's a scene where Kat is talking to Bastion over the phone. And she's like, and they're like, oh, you know, 20 million people are going to watch. She's like, oh, 20 million. I I can't believe it it got out of control like this. And I'm like, you're having a live TV event (laughs) where you're going to get married and you're two mega pop stars? And you don't think it's going to get that big? <laughs> that was the only thing that really threw me off, but I was able to quickly forgive it. Oh, okay, so mine didn't come till later. All right, I'm excited to get to that. Uh, so we have the concert set up, and then we have Charlie, whose friend is played by Sarah Silverman. She's a fellow teacher. She has two extra tickets to the concert. Charlie doesn't really want to go, but they go. And when they get there... So my, real quick, my my point yeah. is pretty much at the point where she has the two extra tickets. So her, what was her plan, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't her plan to like go with her new girlfriend and her new girlfriend's ex and like have some kind of like a gotcha moment or something? Or am I mistaken? I think it was her, her ex and her ex's new girlfriend. Hmm. Oh, I thought it was what Matt said. Like, it was her girlfriend and then her ex, her girlfriend's ex-girlfriend is how I took it. Which, and, and that and that brings me to my point is, did she really think that that was going to work out? Or do you think that that, I mean, obviously that was put in there, so she'd have a reason to have two extra tickets. But I just feel like there are other, more realistic reasons to to set up having extra tickets than, like, this, like, weird unrealistic plan of like yeah so i'm gonna bring my new girlfriend and her ex and then for whatever reason and then that obviously didn't work out well i mean good thing she didn't i mean i I think that's a valid point it's it's not like the best plan in the world And and the fact the whole movie would have fell apart had somehow that plan worked yes that's that's true he would he would have remained home alone listening to the camelot record (laughs) <laughs> I also like how like they don't even say like it didn't work. They're just like ah, you know, now I have two tickets. <laughs> just kind yeah. of allude to it. <laughs> it's not even explicitly clear. But I thought I'm, the same thing. I'm, I'm willing to shrug that off though. Yeah, to me it was it was. I think it's a good point. Um, we get to the concert and there is the performance of Church, which I think is a a really good pop song. But like there were these the dancers on stage were scantily clad nuns. And I'm like, oh, I, I, I just feel like it didn't totally fit the tone of the rest of the movie, but it was it was cool. That was, it was a good performance. That was my favorite musical number, to be honest. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I was just like, the rest of the movie just doesn't really have anything like that. 
Like, I feel like on the scale... Because, you know, rom-coms kind of run the scale of, like, pretty tame to, like, pretty adult. This one was definitely more on the tame side. So, I, I guess I was, I don't know, a little surprised they had it in there. But I, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, backstage, everyone is learning that Bastion had an affair. He's having an affair on Cat. She learns right before she goes on stage... She like drops John Bradley's phone just flat on the ground, and I felt very bad about that. Hopefully, I he like, caught it. I like how we're in like talking character names. So like, and John Bradley's <laughs> phone was dropped. I'm sorry, his character name is Colin Calloway. Her manager. Did they give him a last name? <laughs> never even. This is like every movie now I watch. I'm like, when did they give a last name? <laughs> In the article that I read is when. It, it's Colin Kirsch. <laughs> yeah, Colin Kirsch. I still don't know the character's name from school. But yeah, I also thought that was a, like, like I'd be like, well, it was that. I gave you my phone. and said, Well, you demanded my phone. You took it and then just dropped it on the floor. Yeah, and he was like right in front of her too. So she could have just handed it back. But hopefully he's got a screen protector or insurance. All right, so she is distraught going up there. Bastion's getting ready to marry his fiance, but she starts making a speech, and the crowd's like, "What's going on?" Because she's talking about, "Listen, if you want your life to change, you got to make different choices." Which, hey, great reason. I believe Owen Wilson was the can I, can only I make person a point here. Yes. So I just want to say, during that scene before she starts making this the speech, and she comes out, and people are like looking at their phones and like audibly reacting to it, and she sees it. That many people have like page six notifications that like they got it immediately, and they're like, "Oh no!" I mean, statistically, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yes. I, I I don't know. Maybe when you're part of the team, that's TMZ goes straight to you. You don't even have to. No, I mean, I'm up. talking about like the concert goers. They're oh. like looking at their phone and being like, "Oh," and, like pointing it. Well, I'm, I don't know if they're searching Cat Valdez all the time. That's what they're gonna be fed. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> quick, but I don't know, didn't matter to me. Uh, Owen Wilson, I think, is the only one who is not filming her at that moment, or at least has their phone up getting the notification. So she looks at him, she decides, hey, this is the dude. And <laughs> I love the nice touch of when uh, the, what do you call him, Who's the person who marries you? The priest. Well, it wasn't the priest, but the, the person justice, that the marries justice it. Justice of the peace. Justice of the peace, thank you. He's like, do you take her to be your lawfully wedded wife? He's like okay <laughs> like per perfect response uh they have the limo ride after and this is what i was talking about them in the limo ride it is not lovey-dovey they don't even really have a connection in the limo ride but he's being very sweet about what her feelings are at that moment how how she must be taking all this and then they leave right which is a very good introduction scene and just love it that Tyler has his hat on backwards now. He's really yeah, came now, to play. Now we're getting into the... Now that the, the hat is backwards. Uh, next morning, she wants. She decides she wants to stay married. Not because she's like, oh, I need to stay with this guy. But she wants to protect her public image, control the story. Um, and so they have this press conference, which I absolutely adore this scene. Because, you know, they're up there. They don't really know each other. Charlie's an awkward guy who doesn't like this kind of stuff. But it shows you the, the roots of the relationship that's going to develop because, you know, it's 
them against not against but as opposed to the reporters who are grilling them and they stick up for each other right whenever one of them is stuck with a question because they're going to get awkward questions because it's a ridiculous thing they did the other one always comes in with something sweet to save them which i thought was great also owen wilson uses the line you give me a heifer and i'll give you my daughter and that really just shows that the screenplay is super strong here well, I like the commentary that it brings up that like marriage is just kind of a construct and it was, you know, for the longest time more of a transactional thing than a thing based on love. And I thought that was a nice little commentary that they threw in there. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I feel bad for that poor reporter that's like, isn't this a little crazy and like, isn't it going to fail? And like, didn't you fail at CNN? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, don't comment Cat Valdez. <laughs> don't do it. You're going to be demoralized. <laughs> uh, we have a couple of other scenes. They're bowling together. They're alone at his home, kind of laying the foundation. Um, and then we get this kind of turning point where she is recording the song Love of My Life. Another pop hit. It was a good one. And he stays, right? Because of previously this has been just a sort of financial arrangement where he's going to get donations for his school if he stays married to her for a certain amount of time. They make certain public appearances together. But this is the point where he's like, you know, uh, Colin Calloway, John Bradley's character, says, all right, you can go now while she's recording the song. And he's like, I think I'm going to stay. So, you know, voluntarily spending time, that was a nice turning point. And then I really loved it when Kat comes to the math club. Uh, she dances. She meets Lou. She makes him feel better. The, who was the what was the name of the kid that set up the Wix.com website? Oh, it was Percy, I think. Yeah, Percy. <laughs> they were really grilling Percy the whole time. Leave Percy alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too. Uh, we also set up that Owen Wilson doesn't dance, which, listen, not everybody likes to dance, but I'm just curious. How many more movies do you guys think we'll get this year where there's a woman who goes, dance with me, and the guy's like, oh, I don't, I don't dance, I don't dance, I don't dance. I feel like Deep Water's going to have that scene. Yes. Uh, I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Best Picture frontrunner, The Power of the Dog, has that scene. It's <laughs> everywhere. You know, we got to subvert expectations. I have a movie where the woman doesn't dance. <laughs> yeah. You're telling me Anna de Armas doesn't dance? She dances. She dances. I'm saying this isn't going to be that movie. This is going to be another movie. Uh -oh. you know? <laughs> I think there's going to be more than dancing in deep water. All right. We get oh, to yeah. a, the fall semi-formal scene. This is where J-Lo performs After Love. Good acoustic hit. I like that one a lot. And that leads us directly, unless you guys had any commentary on the fall semi-formal. I like that, like, the, the like, glee club teacher or whatever, like, aggressively cuts the music to have them perform the really awful rendition of her song for her. <laughs> I mean, they're doing their best, man. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Cap Valdez shows up at your school. You're ready. Who actually ever gets prepared? Who, who in the million years... Well, I guess at the, by that point, they would have had time to prepare, but... Yeah, did he tell everybody at school that she was going to be there? 
That's I, what I was curious That about. or, like, maybe as soon as she, the whole marriage scene happened, he's like, well, just in case. <laughs> yeah, also, like, why were all the chorus students just, like, coincidentally right there at that moment? I, I put all together over. in case she comes in <laughs> at some point. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. This leads us directly into one of my favorite scenes. This is the Camelot seduction scene where Owen Wilson is telling her about uh, the song If I If Ever I Would Leave You, which is just a tear-jerking song from Camelot performed by Robert Goulet. And he says the line, If I'm about to have the best night of my life, I don't want to do it to Robert Goulet. Which, again, <laughs> this screenplay, just keep it coming. I love it. Uh, next morning, we have the first of two seductive Apple scenes. Uh, he makes a bet with her. He's going to get on social media. She's going to like do things for herself, which I thought, I don't want to say was the weakest point of the movie, but it was her throwing a rock through a window and then a surprisingly effective blender joke. Hmm. We've seen the, the blender that explodes nine billion times. But this one actually surprised me, so kudos for taking that old joke. Yeah, it did. Really? Okay. Because they didn't show the top before she pushed the you button. You could see there was no top on it. You could tell. Yeah. After. <laughs> no, you could tell from the beginning. So every blender has a thick top. You can tell when it's not. Owen Wilson and J-Lo are on the screen, and you're looking at a blender. Hmm. Says, says something about you. No, the blender came on, and I'm like, oh, the blender's mm. going to explode. That's that. <laughs> Clever product placement from Vitamix, too. Is Vitamix real? <laughs> yeah. It's like the most expensive blender you can buy, but supposedly they're really good. Did all the product placement, was it required that all the companies end in X? Wix, Vitamix, <laughs> Trick Cereal. <laughs> so I just have a question for you, too. And did they do it in that classroom? That was implied, yes. Yeah, which that made me uncomfortable for a minute. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't ideal. It was just, like, there didn't seem to be a, a lock on the door. <laughs> also, it's a building where potentially kids are walking around. Just, Would you, yeah. Imagine just you don't, walk don't, in. Don't do that. Your teacher's banging a pop star. <laughs> <laughs> Is that megastar cap? <laughs> you like rub your eyes. Am I seeing this? And the thing is, that did absolutely nothing for the plot. There was no, no need for that to be in there. And that was the second time she there was seduction with an apple in the movie. It's better than her turkey thing from oh, It's God. Turkey Time. Gobble gobble. <laughs> Okay, so what if in deep water, not to keep going back to deep water, but what if in deep water, Anna de Armas does that exact same line in that same scene from Geely? <laughs> and it'd be very um, foreshadowing for Ben Affleck's future. <laughs> but he's married to J-Lo right now. They're married? Or not, maybe not married, but he's no, with J-Lo currently. No, just dating. Because yeah, they were at the Super Bowl together and everything. Not that that necessarily means anything, but... Geely's gonna be the week after nine and a half weeks, so oh, get ready, man. fellas. Can we just do them both in one shot and just get it over with? 
nine and a half weeks deserves it. So watch that movie and you will see why. You will have a million words to say and you will have no words to say. Um, we have the, the short but sweet carnival scene. Charlie had talked about his mom taking him to the carnival and Kat sets it up where it's lit up at night. They have it all to themselves. Thought it was sweet as heck. I love a carnival scene. Classic date thing. And then we have the turning point. I, you always know there's going to be a turning point in most every movie, especially a rom-com. And this is where I liked this, but I thought it could have been strengthened a little more. So what happens is Charlie and Kat, things are going well. And then Kat gets an offer. She is being nominated, yes? Yeah. Am I wrong about that? Mm -hmm. So she's being nominated... And her and Bastion are going to perform a ballad version of Marry Me. Charlie gets super jealous because he can see that there's a spark. Not only that there's a spark, but that there's a chance that she could be like lured back into her fully pop star life, her old life with Bastion, at least it seemed to me. And so we get this concert. Uh, Charlie is watching it on a laptop with Parker, his friend, and Lou, his daughter. And we get this ballad version of marry me which guys i'm gonna fully admit to you i've listened to this like a hundred times in the past few days it was it was it's just it was a powerful movie moment to me it's not even the best song in the movie um let's do that at the end let's choose our favorite song at the end i um so i know you were saying like we all knew this was coming and i agree i i'm like i i got to a point when things were going well i'm like this is going too well something's gonna happen and Sure enough, this that happened. I um, yeah. I thought it, I thought it felt a little rushed, personally. Fair, but fair. I mean, I understood why it had to come when it came because I mean, we were pushing at least like what an hour fifteen by that point. Yeah, this this thing is uh, just about two hours. Yeah, just a little bit under two hours. Oh, so we're probably um, further along by that point. Probably like an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah, it was like an hour and a half then, yeah. So at the concert, Charlie gets super, both jealous and insecure. Um, and I, th I thought it could have been a little bit stronger if, you know, maybe this isn't the perfect solution, but maybe if, like, Bastion and Kat had done, like, a stage kiss, and he saw that, and he was like, oh, man, what the hell? And he gets upset, and then, you know, that kind of spurs his action, I just thought it could have been like a little more like give him a, a, a real reason to be scared you know what i mean yeah so a stage kiss like spider-man 3 when he when spider-man kissed oh. stacy or well i mean they didn't have to be upside down but something yeah yeah that's a great point something like that mj and charlie they would be in the same club i think that's an excellent point so something like that um, but after the concert, he goes to, like, the after party. Bastion is still singing his butt off, and he's great. And he just decides to jump ship. And to me, it seems he did that. He just wanted to avoid getting hurt. It was, uh, I'm going to break up with you before you break up with me kind of thing. I, uh, did you guys I, see it like that? Yeah, well, I thought it was kind of funny. Like, his, his daughter's like, you need to get to the garden now. So he goes, and he's like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> Not yeah. doing this yeah. <laughs> Like, you expect him to, like, fight for her, and he's like, you know what, I don't belong here. <laughs> what if she had said, you gotta get to the garden, and he shows up, and it's a Celtics game, and he's like, oh. <laughs> the wrong garden. TD garden. That's what I get thought. Get this man meant. a Tommy point. Yeah. 
No, Tommy. That's terrible. <laughs> the wrong garden. <laughs> R.I.P. Tommy Heinsohn. Oh, I love Tommy. But yeah, that, that could have been a little stronger. Matt, I think this is where I definitely felt that it was a little rushed where he's like, all right, enough. <laughs> she was having a big night and he's like, I just don't think it's going to work out. Which again, I, I believed it, but could have been a little bit better. So in the end, we have him. They're going separate ways. She is doing yet another appearance on Jimmy Fallon. He is going to the mathalon that his students and his daughter is now competing in. Um, on Fallon, again, Jimmy Fallon not painted in a great light in this movie. I know it was all in good fun, um, but she has an epiphany. She decides that, well, she has an epiphany when Bastion is flirting with another person. And then on the show where she's like, listen, I, I got to stay true to my word. I got to do something different. And then she has what is admittedly like a ridiculous airport scene. That was that <laughs> was just pretty say absurd. Here? Please do. Not not on the airport scene, but this was very unrealistic on Fallon because like in in real Fallon, he she'd be like, "Jimmy, I have an I'm sorry, I've had to have had an epiphany here." He'd be like slapping his knee like, "Oh, <laughs> that's the funniest thing I've ever." Heard. <laughs> be like falling over his desk. So yeah, I thought that was unrealistic. You really have it. <laughs> But, no, I do have to agree. This this was an eye rollingly bad <laughs> airport. Yeah, this scene. was bad. It's an illegal. It's illegal to buy someone's ticket. <laughs> Everybody knows that's the first thing you're taught in kindergarten. Yeah, totally. And then he's like, "Here's a pass, and here's some money, and like, I don't. Why is this necessary?" Okay, but this um, this is my point about John Bradley right now is that. He always plays a character that comes in clutch, like, right at the end when you really need him. <laughs> okay, good point. Like, he did it in Moonfall. I'm pretty sure he did it in Game of Thrones. He, he didn't really come in clutch. I'm not going to spoil it, but his information basically did nothing. Well. <laughs> it's just forgotten. Well, the, the idea was there, I think. Yes, the intention. The intention definitely. was there. I mean, you could say he didn't really... I mean, and you could say that about Moonfall, too. I mean... I mean, he saved the moon and the world, and now he's the the king of the moon. Yeah, he is. He is the mind of the moon. But here, he is. He is just a manager who just has to has to come in at a really ridiculous point. Um, and so, at the mathalon, Charlie's team is doing okay. They're getting to the championship round, and then his daughter Lou is up, and she had previously gotten nervous and choked at a previous competition. And now, while she's trying to solve a problem, some kid's like, you're a piece of crap! And then, like, everyone's laughing. <laughs> yeah, this was so mean-spirited. I hated this scene so much. Yeah, it was, this is, like, horrible. Like, they're like, hey, come on, let the Mathalons, yeah. Mathalonians think or something. But they're, like, literally, like, ah. <laughs> like That guy had zero authority. Yeah. Even the teacher from, like, the other team was just so mean-spirited. Yeah, he was. I just want to throw out a scene that I genuinely laughed at. That wasn't even like, like, they didn't even bring it up. But, like, I like how when J-Lo is running through the halls, Sarah Silverman, the bus driver is just with them, <laughs> like, following them. Yeah, that's a good point. I... Isn't that, like, a rom-com trope where, like, just everyone is following to try and see the big reunion? Like, regardless of who they are. 
Yeah, but they usually like make a joke out of it. Like he's just kind of there, and then, like they forget he's forget him. Like, he just kind of walks in with them, and then, then they forget he's even there. Yeah, I mean, I guess that was part of the plea, right? There's always some like desperate plea of some stranger. I need help. Please help us. It's for love, right? It's for love. But then they offer them a payout. So, uh, and then Lou gets nervous. Charlie dances finally. That completed that non-dance arc. She gets the answer right, but it's just after the buzzer. They went to the NBA replay. Her finger was still on the ball at the buzzer. Yeah, that buzzer didn't go off. I, I don't care the, what the, the refs are standing, <laughs> just just waving their arms. No basket. This is going to be the next great Twitter debate. Did she say it before the buzzer or not? If Tommy was alive today, right? That's a terrible yeah. call. <laughs> He would. Uh, she is upset, understandably. She has a sweet moment with her dad where he's like, it doesn't matter, you got it right, and you know what? Those other people are chumps. And then they just kind of brush that to the side because Kat shows up, and you know what? She holds up a marry me sign, and I'm like, you know what? This is all I needed. This is perfectly satisfying, and the movie ends, and I'm like, wow, I'm so relieved that I love that. Yeah, I mean, it, it really had a lot more hits than misses as far as, like, the progression of it. I mean, it was a solid. As not a rom-com person, I, I highly enjoyed it. I gotta say, I was very entertained by it. Yeah. I would just find it a funnier ending if, like, when he's, like, holding his daughter, like, consoling her, like, you were great. And then when Cat uh, Valdez is like... You were Lou. He just kind of like tossed her aside. I was like, oh. <laughs> or if or if Jayla was like, it was clearly after the buzzer. Yeah, you know, you can't can't all be. Gotta be quicker next time. So Tyler, why don't you tell us what was your favorite song? My favorite song was uh, "I Was on My Way to You." Oh yeah, that oh, was yeah. a great one. So that's that's a banger in my opinion. I couldn't agree. I love this whole album. I've listened to it many times. I would say if I had to choose, it was that ballad of Marry Me. It was just that a powerful moment. Uh, and it was it was actually a time I was glad that they slowed down a song. Of course, they slowed down their own song, so it's not quite the same as every other movie we see nowadays. But still, they did it in the same movie, and it was good. <laughs> Matt, what was yours? What? Mine was um, probably the church one. Yeah, that one was good. Take me to church. Yeah. <laughs> By Hozier and Jennifer Lopez. Any you know, final? I liked, Go ahead. I like the post credit scene where like Ben Affleck just appears like, hey, Jennifer, I broke up with Anna de Armas. <laughs> when I get back together. <laughs> I did. I did my... like that they had the, the like the different. Uh, were those like real couples? Some of them, like the I actual think, like marriage. I think there that. must have been. When the first one came up, I was like, "Who are these people? Am I it supposed just... to recognize them?" <laughs> yeah, it took me a minute to realize what they were doing, but I thought that was kind of sweet. I was very confused by that because, like you said, like there would be real or like unrecognizable people at least. And then there would be some of the characters. Yeah. I'm like, I, I, yeah. I don't know what's truth and what's reality. <laughs> and then Michelle Bonneau's character got, um, got paired with like the 
terrible coach of the other Mathlon team, like the really mean-spirited yeah. one. Like, okay, yeah. that that fits. I thought that one really fit because they're both terrible people. <laughs> the, neither of them were the most couth people, definitely. Any final thoughts on the spectacular that is Marry Me? Um, I'm glad that it was sponsored by State Farm because I thought that was funny. Don't ask why. I just thought it was interesting. Oh well, they don't end in X, so. I mean, wait, why? I mean, it was sponsored by State Farm. On, on Peacock, it said it was presented by State Farm. At least. What oh, I mine said ambulance. <laughs> mine said brought to you by Michael Bay's ambulance in theaters April eighth. And I was like, yeah. Well, after Marry me that was ambulance. my sponsor. Well, what a double like, feature. <laughs> well, after it said State Farm, I thought at the end credits it was going to show Shailene Woodley and Aaron Rodgers like announcing that they were getting married, but it didn't. Oh, that would have been interesting. Uh, that would have been so stupid. They're already engaged, so... <laughs> well, whatever. I'm glad it ended the way it did. All right, we are going to take a short break, and we're going to be back talking about the Best Picture nominee, Coda, so stick around. I'm Dawn and I'm Cole and Scottish Murders is a true crime podcast dedicated to people from or living in Scotland. Just like anywhere else in the world these murders can be truly horrific and shocking and we want to shine more light upon them. Join us every two weeks on Scottish Murders where we'll bring you cases both solved and unsolved giving you an insight into the other side of Bonnie Scotland. Find us wherever you stream your podcasts as well as on social media. Join us there. Bye. Okay, we're back talking about Coda. Coda is about Ruby, who is a high school senior. Her parents and brother are deaf. The family works on a fishing boat, but Ruby dreams of going to music school, though she often has to work as an interpreter for her parents. This is written and directed by Sean Heater. This is an English remake of the French film La Famille Bellier. Uh, this is nominated for three Oscars, Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Troy Kotzer, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Matt, what do you think of Coda? I freaking loved this movie. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I thought it was I, I thought it was the perfect blend of like drama with lightheartedness, sincerity, and a bit of social commentary in there about how people treat those with disabilities. Um, I thought Amelia Jones did great at portraying Ruby and her struggle between dreams and her family life. There were so many emotional scenes and almost just pretty much almost every one of them hit for me. The beach scene um, with her brother and the audition scene was really... That one still kind of had me tearing up when I was writing it down trying to figure out what my two favorite emotional scenes are. I'm just so happy to see a story like this being told. I didn't realize it was adapted from another project. But regardless, I think it was fantastic. Um, I hope it inspires people to be... To um, I hope it inspires people to do some research of their own on the deaf community and ASL learning and things of that nature and just giving the kind of exposure to this community community of people through this fictional tale but it's fictional but grounded 
enough where I think it I think it just I just think it was really well done. Um, and I definitely think it deserved more at the Oscars. But with that said, I'm glad Troy Kotzer did get, did get the nod. He was probably... Um, I did, like I said, I did like Amelia Jones, but I think Troy Kotzer, of all of them, probably deserved it. Next to the yeah. most, if not the most. Tyler. So I also really enjoyed it. I think you, once again, repeated a lot of my points, Matt. Um, I, I, I think it was just a really like emotionally... No, I was surprised at, like, scenes where I genuinely got emotional at, like, um, I think, like you mentioned, the audition, that, that really got me, um, and I just really, like, was engaged with a bunch of these characters, like, I, I really enjoyed this movie a lot more than I expected, after, like, reading the synopsis, and I will just say, a side note, this is a very Massachusetts movie, I always appreciate that, as a, as a mass hole, mm-hmm. um, there's mm-hmm. a Bruins hat, sweatshirt, or a Red Sox hat in every scene, so it's very accurate, um, but I, I, it does bring up my problem with the fact Amelia Jones, who is an uh, English actress, uh, a lot of times when English actors do an American accent, it's very, like, generic. And, like, you could tell in, like, the side characters how they had that heavy, like, Eastern Mass accent, and she just did not have that. So, I mean, that's it's a, a kind of a dumb gripe, but... It's fair. I mean, if that if that's the worst thing that you can say about this film, I, I wouldn't. I'm not really... saying it's the worst thing. I'm just specifically oh. bringing that up because I find that in a lot. And when English actors do American roles, they have this kind of generic, almost accentless, like thing, and it just kind of felt yeah. weird against the characters that, like, all the fishermen had the heavy accents, like for that. Yeah. They do indirectly insult Boston in this movie, that's true. which I don't. So many locations being insulted throughout the past <laughs> I mean, years. I mean, they didn't say anything worse than we say about Boston. I love being, Boston. Still being from I Massachusetts. Like I mean, I, uh, There are a lot of uh, bad people in Boston. <laughs> and let's just, like, public service announcement right now. We are native Massachusetts. Not all of Massachusetts is Boston. Yeah, I know we, a lot of people don't like realize that. this. It's not even, we're just not from there. <laughs> not not very, Boston. Very different worlds. <laughs> very different Western worlds. Mass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but beyond that, Coda, uh, I think everything you guys have said is valid, true, and well put. This is a rare movie for me that I can't name much that's wrong with this movie, but I really don't like it at all. I have no affection for it. I didn't laugh. I wasn't moved. I watched this back in the fall when it was released on Apple, and I didn't like it then. I watched it again for a review. I was excited to give it another shot. Didn't really like it. I appreciate it, and my dislike for it does not subtract at all for my admiration for the movie. Um, It's well done. Really good family film. It's authentic to how families depend on each other, how they have fun together, how families can be really cruel to each other, even when they don't mean to. But there's always this glue that's holding everything together. Um, you know, if I can be corny, it's it's the love that families have. And this movie was great at showing that. It it does engage with this argument that I really like to see in movies and books. Is this the question of where where is the moral line? between doing things for those you love and doing things for yourself and fulfilling your own desires. Uh, The performances are all good. For me, 
The standout is Eugenio Debrez. I, I thought he was awesome in this movie. He was the highlight of it for me. He's a caring teacher without being an angel. He had such a distinct personality. He was my favorite part. Uh, I also thought this was good for showing that like sometimes even when there's conflict, it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's wrong and somebody's not. It's just we're all coming from our own perspectives and applying those different perspectives to situations in which we're forced to be together. That is what creates conflict sometimes, and that is definitely what happens in families a lot. I got a completely stupid comment to make here, but has any movie ever had a more clever title? Like Coda, referring to Honestly. music and also being child of deaf adults. <laughs> I will yeah. raise you La La Land. Okay, fair. Being fair. in the fantasy world, Los Angeles, and the music. Not saying it's better, but I'm, I'm going to raise you that one. Fair enough. Hmm. Yeah, they got one point over it, I suppose. Hmm. But still, Coda, excellent title. Love to see great titles. Love it. Uh, this was... I heard about this movie a long time ago, well, just about a year ago, I guess, because it was super buzzy at the 2021 Sundance Film Festival because Apple bought it for $25 million, um, which is a, a very large amount. Um, and I'm not, again, sure. I can look it up quickly if there was any sort of box office with coda but with streaming i don't there's there's unclear how that's calculated go ahead i was gonna say there's going to be because they're re-releasing it for oscar week oh cool um with that said i i gotta say i'm i'm kind of bummed that apple were was the one that bought it i mean i don't know if they just bought the distribution rights and then projected the movie or if they had any involvement in actually like post-production or anything or if that would have made much of a difference, but strictly speaking from, like, accessibility, Apple TV Plus, it's five bucks a month, it's not that. For most people, it's probably not that big a deal to subscribe to get this film. Same price to rent it off most other VOD platforms. Mm. But because it's such a niche, it's kind of a niche uh, streaming service, I feel like that hint, that kind of is almost keeping at least some degree of like some margin of people from seeing this film. And I feel like more people should be able to see it and should see it because it's a fantastic movie. So the fact that it's on such a niche service kind of almost detracts from its accessibility and that disappointed me. So I will say more to your point Matt that I don't own an iPhone so I can't download the app Apple TV Plus I have to watch it through my browser and it is the most buggy horrible thing imaginable like when I started watch this movie I so first of all sometimes I couldn't even pause it I just hit the pause button it wouldn't work I'd have to start the movie over and go all the way back to where I was and find it and then also one time I put it on pause i got up to get something and i came back and it was 30 minutes later in the movie somehow so it was a nightmare trying to watch this so. i experienced the same issue when cbs all access was a thing oh god yeah i had that for one specific show and like at certain points it would the the visual would go back to a certain point and then, but the audio would stay current. So, like the first time, couple of times it happened. I'm like, oh, are they like doing a flashback visual sort of thing? 
But nope, it was the most complicated process ever to get it to a point where they synced up. But sorry, that's that's a CBS discussion for another day. I will I will say I'm glad I didn't see it in theaters, and I, I will mention exactly why later when we bring it up. <laughs> oh, now I'm curious. Mm, I have I have some ideas, but I I you I 100% guarantee you have no idea where I'm going with this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm intrigued. I thought all the performances were really excellent. Uh, Amelia Jones, Troy Kotzer as the father, Marley Matlin, always, always great. She got to show like her sense of humor in this, um, which was good. Daniel Durant, hadn't seen this guy before, but I want to see him in more now. He was excellent as Leo, uh, Ruby's brother. And as I mentioned, Eugenio Debrez as Mr. Villalobos. He, he was just the best. Loved him. I also, I re- also, I mean... It should, I mean, it's 2022 Hollywood should really, it should go without saying that they should be doing this as a standard in Hollywood, but I'm glad that they actually cast deaf actors as the deaf characters. I mean, again, you'd think in today's progressive society that it should be a given and I shouldn't even have to mention it, but I'm absolutely glad that they did regardless. Yeah, that was actually a controversy with the French film. Um, I believe that some some of the actors who were playing deaf characters were not deaf themselves, so they uh, rectified that here. Tyler, was this a standout performance for you? Mr. Mr. V, I won't embarrass myself like he says in the <laughs> Yeah, like he says <laughs> in the movie. Mr. V, I thought he really stood out. Yeah, I agree with you. I thought that was really, yeah. he was really good. Yeah. Uh, would you... I would still recommend this, even though I didn't like it myself. I again, I it's so, like kind of annoying because I wanted to like this so badly. I just like didn't enjoy my either of my viewing experiences. But definitely recommend. It is. I am the sour apple in this case. It's it's all about me. This movie is really good, and I this is a really one of the movies of the year that I would say I don't know any people that wouldn't enjoy this. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I would. Yeah, unless unless you're people unless they're the type of people that don't watch movies with heavy subtitles. Oh yes, that is true. But and don't let that stop you, please. I, I know. I I always say that too. Don't let it stop you. But some people are are just not into that. You know, if you want to watch a movie like this and you don't want subtitles, then learn sign language. There you go. I say that foreign films too. <laughs> if you don't want to read subtitles, learn the language and watch the film. Good point. Yeah. Except uh, with anime, that doesn't really work so well. Because <laughs> you can't really lip read in animation. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's a good point. All right, any any final thoughts before we move into this, some plot points here? You want to do it? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So spoilers or plot point spoilers to this point on for Coda. But go watch it on uh, Apple TV Plus or in theaters if it's coming to you. Spoiler warning, if you have not seen the following movie, please go watch that movie and come back or accept the consequences. It starts out with the family fishing. They run a fishing business, but it seems margins are kind of tight. There's a lot of oversight, and a lot of the local fishermen are struggling. Uh, We have Ruby, who often acts as a translator for her family, but... She wants to join the choir in school, but again, she is very nervous and can't do it the first time. I do want to point out that this is the second 
of this year's Best Picture nominees with a really fake sounding flatulent noise. I that was my part. first thought when that happened. I'm like, come on, what is this? Like, you can do anything yeah. in movies, yet you can't make a fart sound like it's coming from a character. I, yeah, I instantly got flashbacks to King Richard with this one. I was like, when did Will Smith show up? I love the Academy. I love you. I love the Oscars, but two movies with this fake flatulence sound come on raise the standard they, they love that fake flatulence <laughs> like woo <laughs> yeah imagine industry screenings <laughs> they're all cheering at the part. they're all out of their seats <laughs> it's, it's like it's like Dr. Octopus showed up again woo <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, the normal if you if you saw No Way Home in theaters, the original screening, and you got all that 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 was the Academy. Anytime it was a fake fart. <laughs> Apologize to anybody over the age of six who <laughs> didn't enjoy that commentary, but it needed to be pointed out. Listen, guys, I. I am eager, but I have yet to see Drive My Car, so there's still a chance that it's three. <laughs> But it's, that movie's subtitled, so would that um, would they the, have to subtitle that? The noise is universal. It's just we sub- all know what it is. It's subtitled as fake fart. <laughs> yeah. Clearly fake fart. <laughs> all right, we have Ruby at choir tryouts. Uh, she is nervous. She was made fun of earlier on, which uh, led to her current fears but we have mr villalobos who is encouraging her he does the the very classic like special teacher role but he adds um some extra personality to it i think he was not just this sort of completely benevolent figure who was going to come in and be her guardian angel he was a real guy with real problems who was just trying to help somebody out who he saw something special and i thought that was cool Mm -hmm. agreed she is set up with Miles, and Miles is played by Ferdia Walsh Pilo, and nothing against that young gentleman as a performer. I just thought this character didn't offer much. That I'll give you that. Um, he rem- he gave me vibes of like the boyfriend from Halloween Kills. I actually thought it was the same actor at one point because he was so forgettable. Yeah, I, they just didn't give him a lot. They so didn't that's, give I'm him not gonna anything. Blame him. No, I I don't know. I just yeah, I thought he was kind of like like I I get like he was kind of the catalyst of why she went to choir because she had a crush on him and stuff. But like yeah. they really just overshadowed him with like the the music like that he got pushed back and like I I barely even remembered him by the time the, the hand came around. <laughs> like... Not to mention he was a terrible person because because he had that really awkward scene with her and when he's over her house and they're like practicing and they hear the parents getting it on, and yeah. then he tells his friend, and then of his friend then tells everybody and then he's like oh well it wasn't me that uh, told everybody it was just I told my friend and then you know what happens like no. Yeah, I just don't. That, that I'm willing stupid. to be- believe it because Amelia Jones was really good, and you know you can understand when you just have a crush on somebody but i don't what, what was the redeeming quality i don't know i like how he's like i'll do anything and oh, jump off a rock okay hey he was on that log that was a slippery log man okay you know i had to look that up actually i looked up the quarry scenes because i'm like there's no way this is gloucester there's no way this is a big thing in this fishing town 
It's actually Rockport, Mass. They filmed that, so it was only ten minutes away. So oh. give them props. <laughs> yeah, and then they were like, "Didn't a couple of kids die jumping off of this?" And I was like, "Oh, maybe don't do it." <laughs> I'm scared. Don't kinda, do it. I kind of was hoping they'd do it, to be honest. I mean, yeah, it was more entertaining. Uh, we have the private lesson set up with Mr. V. And then I thought this was where the conflict in the movie was really well set up in the script, where we have private lessons with Mr. V, but she's working on the boat. And we also have the family who start their own independent fishing business because they're sick of the oversight. Um, so we have all of these things, all these pressures confining in on Ruby. And we get to this breaking point where there's the sudden news interview of her family. She has to act as an interpreter for them. Um, but she is late for Mr. V, and Mr. V gets PO'd, and he doesn't like it. And I thought that was a, a really good scene of, you know, if if she wants to dedicate herself to it, you got to find a way. And it's not always easy, but, you know, you got to find a way sometimes. Yeah, I thought that was a very um, interesting conflict, like one I've never seen, like, you know, you're the only family, like, member of your family that can hear and communicate with, like, everyone yeah. else. I, I thought that was really interesting to see. Like, now she's, like, stuck there. Um, right. Just because, like, almost like, I, I don't want to say this, but, like, like she's the only one with the ability to hear, but it's almost, like, keeping her back because, you know, now she's really the only connection to the rest of the world because, you know, people don't know sign language. Yeah. And I like how they explore the flip side of it with the family. Like, they, at least with the father, you know, I, I particularly noticed one scene he's saying, like, she was like, oh, I, you know, I I can't remember exactly how they set up, but she's like, oh, I don't want to give up my dream, or I don't want to give up my dreams, or what, or whatever, something along those lines. And in one scene, the father's like, oh, we would never ask you that. But then in the next scene, after the whole side business starts up, and he's like, we really needed you there, and, and that. So then it kind it kind of flips from, like, you know, he's saying like, "Oh, you know, don't worry about us." But then, when the things get really ramped up, he's like, oh, he he kind of like almost instinctually kind of backpedals. He's like, "No, we still need you." And then, of course, that ends up getting resolved. But can I just bring up because we're talking about the scene now that the the government like person they put on that boat was just just a horrible human being. Oh, absolutely. When the Coast Guard was like, "Hey, get on here, get on the radio," she's just standing there. <laughs> they get up they're waiting until they're like like accosting them and then she's like hey they're deaf like you could have just said from the beginning like hey they're deaf you know this is bad but you can come in like no well no she i think she's the one that called the coast guard she did i get that but like she could have explained it so they didn't jump on the boat thinking like these were like fugitives like hiding from them like she could have yeah. explained why it's yeah. and she's just standing there like because clearly yeah. they didn't know they were deaf when they were screaming at him over the radio and stuff. Yeah, terrible person right there. Yeah, Matt, to your point, I think you made a great point about um, you know the family needing her, trying to let her go. But one of the things that I do really admire about this movie is that you can see every situation from everybody's perspective and you can yep. understand it, right? There's no evil person in this movie. You know, you look at it from rubies and you're like totally makes sense then you look at it from the parents and the brother and the brother's got his own thing going on he wants to be independent and they're kind of not letting him either uh when he shows that he's he's you know 
got everything it takes to be an independent person in the business. Um, so I, I really like that a lot. That was great script writing. Yeah, and I think that brings it back to what I was saying about how it's an interesting conflict, and it does because you have the, I mean, the universal thing of like, I want to like go beyond my family and be my own person. You know that everyone can relate to that, but then you get it like tied to like, well, your family can't really do much. Like they can't really exist in this world as well without you being the translator between them. So like you know you're they're starting this new business to finally keep themselves afloat and it all falls apart if you're not there, and I think that was really really interesting to see like that kind of like you know you always see like oh you know you're you're gonna leave your family behind all this but like you're gonna leave your family almost defenseless against this because they can't communicate well, so I thought that was definitely a really interesting uh, conflict there. Absolutely. Uh, we get a lovely scene between Amelia Jones and Marley Matlin. I thought this is where Marley Matlin really shined. As she did in the rest of the movie, but this was really her moment. The talk between you know, mother and daughter about how when she was born and uh, learned that she was a hearing child, she was afraid that she was going to be a bad mother, and she was afraid that she wasn't going to be able to connect with her daughter. And it was so sweet, and it was one of those moments where maybe you've seen it in a movie or you've experienced it, um, in your own life when your parent is just kind of rarely honest with you about what they were going through at a certain time of life that maybe they wouldn't have told you when you were younger but now you're kind of ready to handle it and I, I always really like those moments um, both in life and in the movies uh, the concert scene found this effective too when they have you know the plethora of songs you see the chorus singing all these songs and then you get the parents and the brothers' perspective of everything just goes silent and they're just looking at everything and Tyler's pointing a really aggressive finger at me. That is why I wish I, I, I'm glad I didn't see this in theaters. As soon as it went silent, I would have went <laughs> rushing out of the <laughs> I would be at the box office. It's silent. <laughs> the sound went <laughs> Oh, man. There was a moment in, in Jockey, too, where that happened, and we both <laughs> sprinted. No! <laughs> Screaming, flailing about, trying to get them to put the sound back on. I want to know the identity of the person who did that for for Star Wars The Last Jedi. If, if you saw Star Wars <laughs> The Last Jedi in Hadley, Massachusetts, at the theater... And, and you rushed out to tell the management that the sound went out during a, a, a two-second silence. Please, please, come on the pod and discuss it with us. Yeah. Please. Uh, as far as this scene, though, um, I, I this is probably one of my favorite scenes in the film. There's a lot of scenes I liked about this film, but this one is one of my favorites. I like What I liked about it is how... Because of the silence, you know, you can kind of see how the focus turns to, like, the reactions of the uh, the fellow audience members, you know. They pan to some people, like, sort of bobbing their head, nodding, smirking, you know, other people weeping. You know, it just, it's, it's just such an interesting uh, portrayal of, like, what the sensory deprivation is like for deaf people or at least what they are trying they're trying to portray what it's like anyway 
and I, I thought it was super effective. I think it was cool in that, like, it really showed, like, that, like, they really couldn't connect with what her passion was. You know, they couldn't, they couldn't hear how good she was and stuff, so they had to rely on that. They showed them kind of, like, relying on the context clues, which I thought was really cool. Um, but it really just drove home that, like, they don't understand how passionate she is because they can, like, they can't understand that. They can't hear it. And it's so tragic almost that, like, here she is as happiest as, she, as she's been, like, up on stage and they can't share that with her. And I feel like that was, I mean, they, they do it in the scene where, like, he's feeling her, like, singing almost. Like, that was kind of touching. And, like, it was just really, like, oh, they can't, like, understand it, like what this sounds like and that was really kind of sad but it really just kind of drove home like how disconnected like they feel from her yeah. at that point i mean i thought it was almost bittersweet mm-hmm. in a sense that like yeah exa- exactly everything you're saying but at the same time they they showed up and they were there to support her yeah. and they did their best to try and you know match the crowd no and i energy I... I think that's a good, yeah, a good point. Like, they did. They showed up to be there. But then it's just kind of like they can't hear it. Yeah. And that's really the, the yeah. like you said, bittersweet. Yeah. Like, they were there. They they were a family there. But, like, they, they couldn't hear it. And that's really kind of where it becomes a little sad there. But, I mean, they could understand she's happy up there. And, like, this is her dream and she's living it. Yeah, I. Th- it was a nice move after uh, that, like, tough earlier scene where the mom is, like, scoffing at her love of music and she's like oh if i was blind would you want to be a painter um Mm -hmm. that that was one of the most like harsh moments for me um so it was nice that that was kind of rectified in the end as mentioned we do get the throat scene where it's it's dark at night it was really beautifully photographed and uh ruby is sitting on the back of the truck with her dad and he is feeling her throat as she's singing and they have a very touching moment just a very nice scene like how that one was constructed. And that moves us to the audition scene. Uh, I just sorry, I just oh, wanna go ahead. I wanna point out one of the scenes I, I kind of alluded to it earlier. I think I believe this happened just before she went off to the audition. Um when she it when I did her brother like run off or something? He went kind of had like a he was like, Oh, I can't remember when this happened now. It was after the concert when she finally decided, like, she's not going to go to our audition. She's going to stay with the family. Right, right. So, yeah, so basically her, because she is trying to do what's right for the family, you know, she takes almost like this martyr complex, at least how her brother perceives it as a martyr complex, by giving up on school. And staying with the family to help with the business, he kind of storms off. He gets upset because, in her intention of trying to do the right thing or trying to do a good thing, he feels overshadowed once again when he's trying to be independent and trying to show that he is capable of supporting the family just as well as she is, even though he is also mm-hmm. deaf. And the confrontation on the beach, it just—it was just very emotional, very raw, very powerful scene that kind of illustrated those points very well yeah and i think it brings it back to what mike said earlier about like you know you see both sides of the conflict and you could see where both sides are coming from and i think that does it well you know like there's that scene especially earlier where he's like oh he feels left out like he feels like he's not one of us or like left out from us 
And she's like, are you kidding me? I always felt left out. So, like, you see, like, kind of, like, you know, they're not, both of them, like, see from their own perspective that they're the odd one out. Um, and it, it's definitely an interesting um, dynamic there where, like, you know, she's feeling um, left out because she's the only hearing member. She can't be with, like, them, like, whereas they're a tight-knit group. Um, but he feels like everything has to go through her. So I, th- yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and we even get the thing with Miles where he's like, I thought you had this perfect life where your parents loved each other, my parents hate each other, and she does the, you think my life is perfect? Classic line, but, you know, it, it worked in this movie. So, yeah, we're really getting that, that debate from all angles. Uh, the audition scene I thought was sweet. Liked it when Mr. V messed up on purpose so that she could try again. That was a really cool mm-hmm. relationship between the two of them, and then you know the parents come to see it. Um, yeah, that, that that was great. Well, the audition scene, the the thing that really got me with the audition scene is when she started signing the song as she was singing it. Yeah, I mean that that's the part. I mean that's like the epitome of this whole movie, and what I enjoy about this movie a lot is just it's very heartfelt, very powerful. Um, just thinking about that scene kind of brings, uh, it makes, still makes me want to sob a little bit just cause, you know, it, it's just like the culmination of all these moving parts and all the, the resolution of a lot of these, all these conflicts and it's done in a, just a very satisfying, beautiful way all through that one sequence. Yeah. I just want to bring up a point of that that I enjoyed personally was that like, you know, when he comes in, you have these kind of, like, stuffy college admissions people, like, oh, you didn't bring your music? Well, then you have to do it a cappella and stuff. But then, like, when they're performing and, like, he realizes she's looking up and he looks back, sees the family there, and he doesn't, like, care, like, hey, there's not supposed to be anyone. Like, I, I thought that was really touching. Like, he just turns back, mm-hmm. like. Yeah, very reminiscent of the beautiful boy scene from Mr. Holland's Opus, if anyone's a fan of that movie. Um I don't want to say the same exact thing, but very, very similar. And then Ruby's off to college, says some goodbyes. It's very sweet. It's very touching. And then she's off. And that's the movie. That's Coda. Uh, so let's talk a little bit. And we'll, we are going to have a, an Oscar prediction show a few weeks from now. Um, but for now, let's talk a little bit about we have three nominations. Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, Best Adapted Screenplay for Coda. You guys see anything happening on Oscar night? Any wins for this? I mean, I I hope it gets all of them that it's nominated for. It's not going to even touch Best Supporting with Cody Smith McPhee there. Okay, fair. Nevertheless, I mean, this is probably the best of the Oscar-nominated films I've seen so far, in my opinion. Really? Wow. Of the ones I've seen so far. See, I had a different opinion. As much as I really liked this movie, if I had seen this when it came out, I don't think I would have thought it would have been nominated for Best Picture. I mean, I didn't either. I didn't like The Power of the Dog as much as I liked this. I didn't like Dune as much as I liked this. I didn't like Nightmare Alley as much as I liked this. I honestly didn't like Don't Look Up as much as I liked this, and I'm a huge, huge supporter of Don't Look Up. Licorice Pizza? Li- you know what? This even beats out Licorice Pizza. Really? West Side Story? Wow. I know. I King didn't think Richard? that was going to get dethroned, but I just, I really enjoyed this movie. I like, I, I'm happy I can't to hear say that. enough about it. I'm glad. 
Um, I I actually think that the best chance is in Best Supporting Actor. Really? I do still think that Cody Smith McPhee is going to win, but I think Troy Kotzer's right there. Especially if we see some precursors, we still got SAG, we still got BAFTA, a lot of those. If we see a couple of those, I could see it. I don't I don't know if it's going to happen, but I honestly think that's the best bet. I don't think Best Picture is it. I don't either. I think best if it out of the three, I think best adapted screenplay is its best chance. I don't know. It's Drive My Car, The Lost Daughter, The Power of the Dog. I think True, The Power of enough. the Dog is leading. And then I could see it where they want to award The Lost Daughter, so they give it there. Um, could it be Coda? Sure. But I think Best Supporting Actor is the best bet. I mean, but, I, I can't see it walking away with nothing, though. I mean, if it... I could see that. I could, yeah. If it was the most awarded film at Screen Dance of all time, and you're telling me it's not going to walk away with anything? Screen Dance. Screen Dance. Sundance, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I don't know why. I, I find shows, how much, so shows, shows how much I know about film culture, but whatever. No, but I could easily see it not, winning, not picking up any of them, honestly. You know what? This kind of brings me back to my point, though. I mean... I did like this movie a lot of the other films we've seen so far and that we've covered. But it, it does bring up an interesting debate because for me, in at least personally for me, because I did really enjoy this movie, probably a little more than most, but I it's it, it is hard to argue against a lot of the other films that are up because they were decent in their own ways. And a lot of it at a certain point is just like sub one for the other. They're not that doesn't you know, one's not better quality than the other. It's just one got, you know, more slightly more favorable in, in this one demographic than the other, if that makes sense. I'll say this to Apple's credit. Um, I mean, they got a Best Picture nom for this, which, you know, I'm not saying that it's totally, completely due to them, but you you got to campaign and make sure people see this movie in the industry if you, you want a Best Picture nom, so good for them. How many well, uh, yeah. Apple executives uh, celebrated the nomination by seductively eating an apple? <laughs> at least two. That's that's the standard, at least two. <laughs> if I don't get two seductive apples per movie now, then the movie automatically gets one star. One seductive apple? Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, How many do you think Uncharted has? Uh, about How- 15. <laughs> I think it's more aggressive apple eating in that movie. I think there's going to be a scene between Holland and Wahlberg where they're aggressively eating apples at each other. Okay, but my question was going to be how many are going to be in Avatar 2 if it ever comes out? I hope many. Navi apple eating? Yeah, Navi apple eating in that, that forest, that magical forest. All right, this very much went off the rails. Any final thoughts on Coda? There's not much more that I could say that I haven't already gushed about in this discussion. I'm just going to say, if you are curious at all about it, either from hearing me gush about it, or if it just seems like an interesting premise, or if you like the concept or whatever, even if you're not, even if you're just looking for a good heartwarming film with you know stakes but not like super unrealistic high stakes like very realistic grounded stakes watch this film 
give it a chance. Buy that one month subscription to Apple TV Plus. It's well worth the cost of admission. Use the free seven day subscription. Yeah, like me. Yeah, true. I still use. I'm still using my three month trial from uh, from Finch, I believe, or that might have just ran out. But <laughs> from Finch and a uh, tragedy in Macbeth too. Oh, sweet. Uh, Tyler, you have any final thoughts? So, I mean, this is it's gonna sound bad considering I just gave like a solid review of this, but you know what? I don't need to see in movies. Like, them performing the music number repeatedly, when it's not, like, an original piece. Like, as much as I don't like musicals, I like that there's, like, a, you know, like, a song and dance going on, there's entertainment. You know, they're just singing back-to-back. Like, I, it, I didn't need to hear you all I need to get by about a thousand times throughout that movie. You know, there's this a certain point where, like, I just, i just not interested in hearing them sing it again. We're, like, they're just, just practicing it. <laughs> fair. I think that's fair. Especially since, as mentioned, those scenes between the two of them were not my favorite or the most no. convincing. Uh, well, if you, the listener, had thoughts about this, we want you to contact us. Please write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. Please, if you liked the show, you could really help us out by rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ScreensaversPod, and our Facebook is Silver Screen Savers Podcast. Matt, where can you be found online? You can find me at Maddie X Sturds, S-T-U-R-D-Z. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. I am still formulating my thoughts on Coda, but soon I'll be probably writing up my full thoughts on this, mostly just the same stuff I said on here. But feel free to follow me on there. I kind of write my ravings and ramblings on the different films I see, as most people do on Letterboxd. Um, but I'd love to you know, connect with more people and see what other people think of similar movies awesome tyler find me on instagram and twitter at tyler sutkus s-u-t-k-u-s i know i've said it like several episodes ago i'd get you my letterbox and i still haven't so if you're the one person who heard that and you're still waiting on me and you i'll get it next next episode i, I promise i promise you i will get that because i can't put that on the outline username. Mike. <laughs> yeah, put it right put on the outline. the outline yeah i will uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Michael underscore Gallet and on Letterboxd at M Gallet. I am following Tyler currently. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Take care, everybody. Peace. See ya. Silver Screen Savers podcast was co-created, written, hosted, and produced by Michael Gallet, Tyler Sukkis, and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant. Intro music by Charles Michel via Pixabay. Logo design by Nathan Seidel.